Welcome to a podcast by the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. My name is Angie Day, and I'm the Chapter and Volunteer Services Director. Today, we're going to be speaking with a parent, Jill, who is going to share her experience as a parent of a child who has a mood disorder. Jill, would you mind starting us off with a quick introduction? Sure. My name is Jill, and I'm married to a fellow named Randy. And the daughter we're going to talk about today, her name is Anna. She's 15 years old, almost 16. She's the baby of a large family. Um, we have seven kids. She's the only one that's still living at home. Thank you. And thank you so much for being a willing and able to share your story and your family's story with us. Maybe we could start off with just what, before becoming a parent, what was your experience with mental health? I really, I knew it existed. I really didn't have direct experience with it. I can, once my daughter was diagnosed, we could look back and see other family members that struggled in similar ways, but they hadn't been diagnosed. It wasn't called mental illness for them. Sure. And I think a lot of individuals would have a similar experience to that. When did you start first noticing symptoms of, a, you know, mental health or an illness occurring with your child? In our case, it was very early. At four years old, my daughter would have periods where she wouldn't sleep at all for like 72 hours. And then she would crash and she would sleep and we could hardly wake her up for another day or two. Um, and since she was the youngest of a big family, I we knew that's not normal. <laughs> and so that helped push us to starting to ask questions and looking to try to find help. Sure. And did you know that these were these were potential symptoms of a mental health issue when they started occurring? Not really. One of her older siblings is extreme ADHD, and so at first we were like, "Oh well, it's probably ADHD." But again, he like he would be bouncing off walls and a bit out of control, but he would sleep at night once we got him to go to sleep. And so we just saw it as, well, there's something different. We don't know what it is. Actually, in our case, I kept telling my husband, there's something here. He kept saying, oh, no, you're an older mom. Like, you're just not coping as well with normal behavior. And um, I knew that wasn't it. But there was an ad on the radio that had all these uh, handful of questions you know, does your child have this? Do they act like this? Do they act like this? If so, please call us. We're doing a medication trial. And it described my daughter perfectly. And it turns out it was a medication trial for um, meds to be used in bipolar in children. And so that's really the path of how we got to an initial diagnosis. Wow. So it was actually something you just happened over here on a radio that kind of set you towards the path of finding what your daughter needed. Yes, yes. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Wow. It's, it's incredibly powerful and how fortunate that, that that occurred and that, you know, you were, had the radio on at that exact moment. When that was happening, before you had kind of discovered what was going on, how did you feel? I felt overwhelmed. And like I said, we've got a big family. I'm good at having a bunch of kids in chaos and I enjoy it. This one took me over the top. I felt like it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to help her deal with life. And I knew sure. that normally I'm good at that as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of supports were available to you at the time? There really weren't a whole lot because, you know, we would, any of my friends, most of my family, if I brought up my concerns, it either got blown off as you're just overreacting, she's just a normal active kid. Or 
it would get blamed on, well, you know you do have a large family, or, well, you know, you are homeschooling. Why don't you put your kids in school, and then you'll have plenty of energy for her. And at the same time, I knew those things really had nothing to do with what was going on with my daughter. Sure, sure. It sounds like some of your natural instincts were spot on, but they were being invalidated by those around you. Is that right? Yeah, that'd be a good way to yeah. say it. Yeah, wow. So you heard this ad on the radio, and you called in, you found out more information. What ultimately helped? What what started to shift things for your family? Well, first of all, in the meds trial, this started on a particular med, and then it was switched to being whether it would be a placebo or not a placebo. Fortunately, she was kept on the actual med. We saw a night and day difference within a handful of weeks. Wow. Suddenly she was not she was not melting down in anger. She wasn't she was sleeping at night. Um, just she was just much more regulated in a lot of ways and so that's not the experience of most families. The first med she tried worked beautifully. She's still on that medication eleven years later. Different dosage obviously, but she sure. still is what keeps her regulated. Um and that's not the experience of most families. Most most families I know go through, you know, a bunch of different medications that don't work until they finally find the right one for their child. Um, but for us, that was just transformative. That's really incredible. And it sounds like for any family who might be facing a similar issue, you know, having some resilience and patience with what could maybe be a long process is really important. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing for me, I'm a person who, anytime we face any new challenge in life, I go find a book or as many different books as I can about that topic. And so as soon as we had a diagnosis, I started finding every book I could, you know, there weren't many out there, but finding what I could about bipolar, specifically in children, because it looks so different in children than it does for adults. And so books like that helped reinforce I wasn't crazy, I wasn't overreacting. They would describe things and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's my daughter. That's what life was before we did the meds or that's what life is like now. That was a help to have books to reinforce that. And eventually, it took me quite a while, but eventually I started realizing I needed other, I needed to have contact with other families that were facing similar issues. And was that easy to find other families with similar issues? No. No, it was yeah. not easy at all. Um, yeah, I couldn't yeah, imagine it, that it would be. Yeah. Yeah, how did you connect? Um, partly it was, I'm okay, I'm, an, I'm very much an extrovert. I will talk to anybody. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if I would, see, if we'd be out someplace, like at the playground, and I would see parents, whose kids looked like maybe they had similar challenges, I would strike up a conversation and kind of see, you know, just try to be affirming, but try to see would they kind of take the bait, would they want to talk about their kid, the challenges, et cetera. And at that point, I wasn't looking for parents who had kids with mental illness. I was looking for parents who had kids that were a big handful that we could at least connect on that level. Sure. And um, it was number of years later that I discovered the Parents Forum on um, DBSA and 
suddenly it didn't matter if I had, I didn't have to find somebody in my neighborhood or in my town that gives access to people internationally that all have similar issues. That's really incredible. What else helped you? Like, as a, as a parent who has seven children and, you know, a lot of responsibility in that area, how did you support yourself during that process? Part of it was uh, something I learned just being a homeschool parent, which was mm -hmm. to cope with that, I had to become good at saying to my husband, I need a break. I need a couple hours to just go to the coffee shop all by myself with nobody else, <laughs> no children. <laughs> um, and I would take a book or I would take something to doodle on. I would just sit and stare into space, whatever it took. Um, so I'd already gotten good at that because of having a big family and because of homeschooling. And eventually, um, it took a while till my husband really could see that this kid really was different and that I needed more support. Um, and, and I didn't need as much from him. He works hard. He, he's earning the income for all of us. I, it wasn't that I needed him to jump in and do things as much as I needed him to affirm, yes, it was appropriate for me to take breaks. It was appropriate for me to get away. That's what I needed most from him. And I jumped out there to say, I need this. I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like that was a really important part of the process for you and something that I think we can all learn from. I know even though I'm not yet a parent, um, just carving out a little bit of time here and there during stressful times has been so important for me. It really is, and it's it's something that unfortunately our culture throw in our our culture on a big scale and our friends and family on a small scale, they throw at us that that's so selfish. You know, why would you do that? That's selfish. That's you know, that's the word you just hear a lot. And it's no, you know, I know we we all maybe hear the story of you go on an airplane and they say you know put your oxygen on first before you put it on anybody beside you. We can't help other people if we are totally burned out, frazzled, and overwhelmed. Right. And Absolutely. on the one hand, we hear that. We hear that in the culture. And on the other hand, but if we try to do something to get more oxygen, to get more sanity, to, you know, get more calm in our lives, then it gets thrown at us that we're selfish. So to some extent, you have to be stubborn. Um, to say, no, this is what I need, and I'm going to do what I need. Yeah, that's really terrific, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. When thinking about managing a household with a large number of individuals, how did you find time to support your other children when your um, daughter was having some challenges? That one I consider us to be pretty lucky because you know, I, I look back and I think if she was, so, so my first five kids were two years apart, you know, okay. two years between each one. So they were very close together. If she had been one of those kids, that would have just made it really overwhelming. But then there was a gap to her next young, older brother, and then there's actually almost six years between her and her, her next, the next older one to her. So it meant that I really wasn't needing as much moment-by-moment moment interaction with the older kids. Like, you know, if they'd been toddlers and they'd been preschoolers and young school kids and I'm dealing with her, that would have been really, really, really difficult sure. because 
the older kids could, you know, I could give them some attention and they could do things on their own, that made it easier to handle what she needed. Um, in addition, one of the things that, and then of course this way I didn't feel quite as selfish either, one of the things that I would sometimes do to get a break for me is my husband would watch the majority of the kids and I would take one kid at a time with me to run some errands and then we'd stop and get a treat. or, And that way they got some one-on-one -on -one attention from me. I got a break from all of the kids and from my daughter. I got some things done I needed to get done. But it, that kind of became a win-win. Occasionally my husband would have time and he would take one or two kids on his own. But like I said before, often most of his effort has been focused on working and then coming home and doing things like mowing the lawn and you know sure. the chores around the house. Yeah, that makes sense. So during this journey and when you were learning what your family needed and what your daughter needed, what did you find was not helpful? One of the biggest things is to politely ignore all of the suggestions and advice from people that don't agree that there's mental illness going on or that don't understand mental illness. Sure. And so sure. it was really important to just tune them out. They give all this advice and it has no bearing whatsoever on my kid and my family situation. Um, quite honestly, that also applied to, there have been a handful of medical professionals over the years that we have fired because they just didn't see what life was like in our family. And so the, what they were saying didn't work and they wouldn't listen to me. Um, so, so that's a big thing is, you know, walk away from anybody who's giving advice that doesn't fit. Another thing that's not helpful is don't read too many parenting books, magazines, blog posts about parenting, you know, neurotypical kids that don't struggle with mental illness because you will just drive yourself crazy. Most of what's suggested there as to being good parenting styles or ways to cope with things backfire when we use it with our kids. Sure, sure. I think that's really incredible, and I love your point about making sure that your voice is heard and, you know, taking a stand when it's not. I think that's incredibly important as well. I start thinking about the mental health space in, in general, and I think there are obviously challenges, things that have gotten better over time and things that have not. Are there any challenges that you see that exist in that mental health space now? I can think of three things. One okay. is that, as, and this is, I know a lot of families will disagree with me on this, the only way we're going to change the stigma on mental health is we have to, as families, be very open about what we're dealing with, about our child's diagnosis, be open with them about it, and be open with the larger world. If, if we don't speak up, if we hide it, the stigma's only going to continue for as long as we keep hiding it. Like I said, I know a lot of families very, very much disagree with me on that. They feel that a very high need for privacy. I can respect that for them. For us, we're just very open. This is just what we deal with, and, sure. and we talk about it. And hopefully that way it helps other families see that someone with mental illness is not strange, weird, and different. They're my daughter. They love my kid. You know, she has mental illness. There's not as much stigma for that. A second thing is we have a desperate need in this country for more um, medical providers 
that have a clue about mental illness. There's a desperate shortage of psychiatrists, and then it takes two additional years to become a pediatric psychiatrist. That means that the shortage is that much worse for those. But in addition, just pediatricians, it would help if they had a better knowledge of mental illness. Um, nurses, you know, that we need a better we we need a better way to get the help that these kids need, and it just there isn't the manpower out there to help the families. Um, and then the third thing would be, and I guess they're kind of all related, but the third thing would be we need just more knowledge in the schools amongst the teachers, amongst, you know, people at the library, the places where we take our kids. Sometimes I get weary of trying to educate them on what's normal behavior for my kid and that when she does these quirky things, it's not bad parenting, it's not dangerous. Yes, it's different, but it's normal within the medical illness that she has. And it would be helpful if there was some way to better educate our country as to what does this really look like. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are really important points. So thinking about the fact that you said that you've um, been on this journey for a little over 11 years and, you know, maybe a little bit more, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of this journey that you know now? I think the most important thing I kind of knew, and that was trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. If you as parents feel like there's something wrong or something a little off, you're right. Nine times out of ten, you are right. So trust your instincts. And then closely related to that is the piece of find your voice and use it. You know, be an advocate for your family, for your child. Keep asking questions. And if somebody isn't listening to you, either just go find someone else yourself or ask for a referral. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of energy. And often when we're dealing with our kids that are in crisis, we don't have much energy to spare. But once you find people around you, medical professionals, friends, other people around you that are support for you, that listen to you, then suddenly you, you know, as issues are resolved, you have far more energy to deal with every aspect of life. So trust your instincts and use your voice. That's incredible. And then how's your family doing now? Um, in general, we're doing quite well. All of my my, my older kids are all um, grown living independently at this point. Um, so we're dealing with just one child home. And there's been adjustment to that. We've My husband and I have really had to take time and recognize she may or may not ever live independently. We have high hopes she will, but right now, um, at almost 16, she's not heading to college at a normal age. She's not going to be living independently at a typical age. We hope that will happen a little later. And we had to take time to grieve that, mm -hmm. grieve, you know, let go of the dreams, still be supportive and still dream dreams with her, but let them be dreams of her in her strengths and weaknesses, not the typical parent dream of, well, she'll go to college and she'll meet a guy and she'll get married and, you know, she'll have a wonderful job and she'll have a wonderful family. And 
having to say, all those things may or may not happen. Her path is going to be different. So, so that's been a, a kind of ongoing challenge, is to find a balance um, between letting go of unreasonable things and, and at the same time holding dreams out there for her. It's also been a challenge I had expected. We do a good job of raising our kids to be very independent. And with the rest of our kids, by the time she was this age, I could have had a part-time job outside the home, could have been doing other things. I can't do that. She needs me around. She needs me making sure that she continues to make safe decisions. And so I've had to let go of some of those things for myself and say, but this is the child we were given. These are her issues. This is what she needs from a parent. And that parent's going to be me. And I just have to step up to doing that. And it's also a case of having to remember some, you know, a lot of days things go smoothly. She does the things she's supposed to be doing. She's homeschooled still, you know, and, and she steps up and we think, oh, oh, she finally got it. But more than the rest of my kids, she may have everything going fine one day and the next day it's like everything she's learned, all the coping skills, all the life skills are just gone. And... I've had to step back and say, okay, just, you know, she does have them. She had the skills yesterday. She'll have them tomorrow. <laughs> just ride this day and let it be. Don't panic. They're not gone. She's just not accessing them today. So it's a whole different style of parenting. And my oldest daughter is almost 34 years old. You know, there's days where I know I'm a good parent, I got this down, and then I deal with my youngest daughter and just laugh and say, well, obviously, there's a lot still to learn. <laughs> with that thought, did you have any advice that you would give to parents who are maybe starting their journey or even in the middle of helping to find what their child needs for wellness? Probably the biggest thing is don't get locked into just one thing. So, you know, to begin with, my daughter took meds. That helped significantly. But then eventually the time came where, especially right around puberty, that, you know, things kind of all derailed and she's back in crisis. And at that point we finally started doing some therapy. We started looking at, okay, what else is going on? We had a, we had a really good psychiatrist who figured out that it wasn't just mood disorder. It was also extreme anxiety, which was kind of fueling more of the um, instability. So we started dealing with that, with therapy, with with meds. And, you know, at this point, um, we also, can, you know, look outside the box. I know we don't, we're, this doesn't seem to make a difference for our family. I know there are families that diet makes a huge difference and a huge change. For us, my daughter and I take four to six week long backpacking trips in the backcountry wilderness along the Appalachian Trail. When she's out in nature, she's much more stable, much more settled. Um, I like being out there too, so we go and take trips like that. Obviously, I'm not suggesting all families go do that. <laughs> um, but the point of bringing it up is to say, keep looking for all the various different alternatives that are out there. You'll find the mix that works best for your child and for your entire family. But it's not going to be just one thing. And even if you find one thing, it's not going to be that one thing that is the answer all the way along. You're going to have to keep looking 
for new solutions. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Jill, thank you so much for sharing your story and speaking with me this morning. Before we close, did you have any last thoughts that you wanted to share? I think the most important thing would be just to say, I've got a daughter, she's almost 16. I know a lot of families that will listen to this have much younger ones. And when you're just starting on this journey, it can be really overwhelming. And you think, is this what it's going to be like forever in constant crisis? To be honest, it's possible. But I would say have hope. For most of us, the kids become much more stable. We figure out as a family ways to help support them in the best ways possible. And life is unlikely to remain total chaos. You know, there is hope that things will stabilize. Wonderful. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. To learn more about mood disorders for adults or in children, please uh, join us at our website at dbsalliance.org. You can also find the parent forum that Jill mentioned there on our website. And with that, we're going to go ahead and close the podcast today. Thank you. <laughs>